You're listening to a message preached at Front Range Baptist Church by Pastor Dean Miller. It is our prayer that this message will be a help and an encouragement to you in your spiritual walk. Now, here's Pastor Miller. Acts chapter 11 today. Acts chapter 11. It's been a few weeks since we were in Acts 11. And so, for those of you that are visiting with us, we have been preaching through the book of Acts. We've been here for about, I don't know, a year and a half maybe. And uh, we're just into Acts chapter 11. But we um, are at a very pivotal time in the book of Acts and really in church history. Uh, Because Peter has just been to Caesarea in Acts 10. And this is some 10 years after Pentecost. Peter's down in Caesarea and he is bringing the gospel to a man by the name of Cornelius who is a God-fearing man, but he's lost. I mean, when you read the description of Cornelius, you would almost think Cornelius was saved, but he wasn't. Uh, He was a lost man, but here we find find Peter uh, winning Cornelius to Christ, and the Holy Spirit coming upon the uh, uh, Gentiles that were gathered in his house. People were saved and baptized, and it was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the Gentiles, just like the the Lord had given the Jews back in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. And this was the Lord saying, uh, it is time, the fullness of time to bring the Gentiles in and to allow God to do what he wants to do with the New Testament church. Peter came back to Jerusalem and they were not really happy about that. And they said, what do you mean you ate with these Gentiles? And Peter defended what he had done by taking them back through what God did for them and how God made it evident that it was time to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, I don't know how many Jews we have in here today, but I would sure think that the Gentiles would say a hearty amen to know that God grafted us in and opened the door wide open to the Gentiles. Now, Dr. Luke the writer of this, turns our attention back to something that took place many years ago in Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. Watch this very carefully. Now, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Now, mark that. They were only preaching to the Jews. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Notice that. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church was at Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he had come and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarshish for to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year... They assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. Talk about a long church service. 
That wasn't in one day, but I'll tell you, it wasn't one service. But for one year, they met with this church and preached the Word of God to them and taught the Word of God to them. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world. A famine was coming, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Father, I pray your blessing upon the reading of your precious holy word. We open this Bible today and we ask that the great teacher, the Holy Spirit, minister through the preacher and the listener and that the word of God would have free course today. Lord, as we have preached on this subject this morning, a church that God blesses, I pray that it can be said of Front Range Baptist Church that we are a church that God blesses. Lord, we need your hand upon this church So may we have ears to hear today, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, It's interesting that these disciples are as far away as Antioch. They've been moving and running. These are men that ran from the persecution at the time of Stephen, way back in Acts chapter 6. And they scattered and they went out through the land of uh, the Philistines. Remember those old Philistines from the Old Testament? They had gone through the Philistines, they had gone up through the, the, the uh, area of Syria, they had gone into the, into the islands and so forth. They finally made their way all the way to Antioch. And what was important about Antioch was that it was a massive city in the Roman Empire. It was, only, it was only third to Rome and Alexandria. Rome, of course, the capital of the Roman Empire, was the seat of power in the Roman Empire. Alexandria, that was a great populated city, but it was the home of academia. It's where all the, uh, the intelligence and, and universities and the scholars and the learning. But Antioch was a different city. It, it was a city that boasted about a half million people in its population by all accounts. And it was a city that was filled with culture. It had a lot of retired government officials that had come. There was a lot of money in Antioch, and because of that, there were people who were seeking pleasure. And they had all of the Roman leisure and all of the Roman culture and all of the, the, uh, the Roman uh, uh, arts at their disposal. And it was a city known for its perversity. It was a very wicked, ungodly city. In fact, it had become a proverb. The city of Antioch had become a proverb, and one of the great theologians, or the the philosophers of the days of of Rome, uh, he talked about how he saw the decadence of of Rome itself, the city of Rome, that was beginning to decline in its its moral uh, nature. And he he talked about the, the river that flowed out of Antioch. He said, those headwaters are flowing into Tiber. They're flowing into our river that are coming into Rome. In other words, Antioch is sending its filth downstream, and it's infecting Rome. And by the way, when you have Romans saying that, that's saying something. And it's interesting that God picked that city, that city, to become the city where there would be a church that was about to do amazing things. And notice what the Bible said of this church. He said in verse number 
21, and the hand of the Lord was with them. This was a church that was beginning to form, and it was in its infancy, and God had his hand on them. You know, can I tell you today, church, there is nothing There is nothing that can at all compare to the blessing of God on a church. Nothing that can compare to the blessing of God on your home, the blessing of God in your life where the hand of God was with you. The Bible said this of Joseph when Joseph was in Egypt, that the hand of the Lord was upon him. The Bible said this of the prophet of uh, the prophet Samuel that the hand of the Lord was upon him. It said of the prophet Jeremiah the hand of the Lord was upon him. Uh, Jesus was a man upon whom the hand of God was under the blessing and the authority and the outpouring of God's power and his blessing. Can I tell you today church I want the hand of God in my life and I want the hand of God on this church. I want God to be able to move as he sees fit. I want God to be able to do what he wants to do in this church, that God has free course with this church, that his hand is on it. One of the things that I love about this church at Antioch was that it was a church that was not founded by an official. There wasn't an apostle in this group. There wasn't an official missionary sent from Jerusalem. No, these were just unnamed people who were scattered through the persecution, and they, in their scattering, they took the gospel with them. You know, it's amazing to me. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I think it's worth just circling back around to and putting an exclamation point on it. But it's amazing to me that with all the upheaval that we've seen in our own society in the last couple of years, that Christians have become very, very fearful. And uh, we've become very critical. We've criticized, and some rightfully so, we've criticized pastors or churches, and some have totally acquiesced. And, uh, and they've, 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 they've operated in fear. But I want to tell you today, I want to tell you, uh, the attitude of the New Testament church in America today is not the attitude by and large of these people that were back in this day. When they were uprooted from their homes and scattered by political persecution, let me tell you what they did. They carried the embers of the gospel with them and they ignited fires everywhere they went. And I want to say to the American Christian today, shame on us that during a time of decadence and perversion and debauchery and political confusion and overreach of the government into our rights, let me just say shame on the Christians today that have not been forthright in carrying the gospel to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to those that we meet in the highways and hedges of life. Thank God for some people in this day and age that took the gospel with them. We don't know their names. Now, you know, a record would lead us to believe that Dr. Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, perhaps was saved in Antioch, that he was from Antioch, and I bet he probably could have gone back and found the names of those people who founded this church, but he left them unnamed under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and just said, there were some men from Cyprus and some men from Cyrene. They weren't officials. They weren't apostles. They weren't missionaries. They were just believers in Jesus Christ who carried the gospel with them. God, give us some people like that today. You know, I wonder if building churches was dependent upon your witness, how many churches would get started? It's amazing how many armchair members can tell the pastor how he should pastor the church, and yet we've not gone to our neighbors or our co-workers, we've never taken a gospel to them, never taken a track to them, never, never concerned about their soul. There's a 
famous magician and comedian, his name is Pin. I think it's Gillette, I think. There's a YouTube video. Maybe you've seen it before, but he gave a, he gave a speech. He's an avowed atheist. I've not seen much of his work. I've seen this video, but I've not seen much of his work. I'm told that he's foul-mouthed and arrogant and blasphemous. He's an avowed atheist. But in this YouTube video, he tells about a Christian man who came to one of his shows, sat through the show, came to meet him afterward, and presented him with a Bible. And said, I want to give you this Bible. And with tears in that Christian's eyes, Penn recalls when this Christian shared with him the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, and prayed with him that he would be saved, implored him to be saved. It so moved Penn's life, he made a video about it. He talked about this man who came to his show, sought him out, brought him a Bible, told him about it. Now, he didn't get saved. Not yet. But here's what he said. He said, how much hate do you have to have in your heart to have the secret of everlasting life and share it with no one? I didn't say that. An atheist said that. How much hate do you have to have in your heart to have the secret to everlasting life, to believe that everlasting life is possible, and then to keep it to yourself? Shame on us. Thank God for these people from Antioch who carried the gospel with them. They went to this wicked, debaucherous city, and they said, you know what this city needs? It needs Jesus. And they began to tell these people about God. And God blessed this church. How can we be a church that's blessed? I think we ought to follow the model of this church at Antioch. Let me just lay by the Holy Spirit a couple things on your heart today. Number one, what's a church that God can bless? We find from this passage of Scripture, it's a church where every member is a minister. Every member a minister. Now, the word minister means to serve. Jesus said, I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. I came to be a servant. Who's the greatest among you? It is the servant. Every member a minister. The founding of this church in Antioch, I really believe this is one of the most significant events in Western civilization. In the history of Western civilization, the founding of this church in Antioch was absolutely significant. Why? Well, because this church, first of all, was the first church that gave us the distinctiveness of the church apart from the Jewish synagogue. This was primarily a Gentile church with Jewish believers there. But no synagogue, no Jewish presence, really. It was a Gentile church. Not only that, it was Jews and Gentiles into one body, fellowshipping with one another. Not only that, but this is the first time in church history where the members of this church were called Christians. We'll talk about that in a moment, but they were called Christians there. How many of you ever referred to yourself as a Christian? Well, we bear that title because of these at Antioch who were given that title. Not only that, but this is the first church that sent the first missionary endeavor to Europe. I don't know if you know your history or not, but Europe brought the gospel to the Americas. 
And we're sitting in this place in America today because people left their homeland in Europe and came here seeking God and religious freedom. And here we are today with a Bible in our lap in a free country with a constitution and a bill of rights that guarantees the right for religious, free religious exercise and to be able to preach the gospel. What a church. The hand of the Lord was with them. Why? Every member was a minister. And one of the remarkable things about this church, like I said a moment ago, is that it was not founded by an apostle. It wasn't founded by a trained missionary, but just unnamed men scattered by persecution spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Look with me for just a minute, if you will, in your Bible here. Look with me in verse number in verse number um, uh, 19, at the very end there, it says that they, uh, they, as they came, they were only preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Now watch this. And some of the men were of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, now this is very important, spake, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now the reason why the Bible says spake here is because this was not, there was no indication here, the Bible didn't want to give any type of indication that this was a pulpit message. This is a speaking, this is an intercourse of people at the market. This is an intercourse of people with their neighbors and in the town square and in conversation. They were just speaking with people and telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. And they were proclaiming, that's the word preaching here, they were proclaiming or declaring the gospel to them in normal conversation. This wasn't a professional standing in a pulpit telling everybody with a well-prepared sermon about the gospel of Jesus Christ. These were normal people sitting in normal normal places, in normal uh, avenues of concourse, talking with people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And can I tell you that that's where God blesses churches. A recent study was done and said that the average Christian stops witnessing after the first three years of conversion. The majority of the Christian, Christian witness is done within the first three years after salvation. There's a lot of reasons for that. A lot of times after we've been saved for three years, we don't have a whole lot of lost friends anymore. Most of our acquaintances and our associations are within the church and we only gather with saved people and we're only involved in the programs of our church and our schedules now are very, very busy and we're only around Christians all the time and we very rarely interact. And I'll, but, and I'll tell you this, uh, uh, I think that after those three years of our, of our early conversion, we also lose... In our quest, in our learning of the Scripture, we lose our burden for others to be saved. We become, in some ways, very selfish. And I just want to be fed. I want to be fed. I want to be fed. I want to be fed. Well, what about taking what you've been fed to others and taking the gospel to other people? You know, one of the great things about having new converts around us is that new converts have, new Christians have an acute awareness of what salvation really means, because I was just lost, and I am just found. And I want other lost people to be found like I've been found. And they have an awareness. It would do really good for some of you mature Christians to get around some of these new saved Christians and find out what that old zeal is about telling others about Christ. There was this speaking about Christ. Let me ask you a question. Hey, let me ask you a question. In your day-to-day conversations, what do you talk about? In your daily 
discourse at business or with neighbors or uh, with other friends or coworkers? What do you talk about? Does the gospel of Christ ever come up in the conversation? Well, it did with them. They spake about Christ. And they told others about the gospel. It's amazing that every member of this church was spreading the gospel. They were spreading the gospel without to unsaved people, and they were serving within the church with their gifts. The gospel out, gifts within, and it was a healthy church that God was blessing. And you know how I know that they were serving within the church? Because they were going to let Barnabas and Saul leave and take an offering back to Jerusalem, and the church never missed a beat. I mean, what would happen to this church if, um, if a Pastor Miller and Pastor Bartlett went away for two months? Well, I think we would exist. But the church doesn't exist on me. <laughs> this church was here before I got here. I could die tomorrow, and you'll find another pastor by next Sunday. I have in my desk drawer every, every, uh, every day, I open up that middle desk drawer, and I have on a three-by-five card written in there, Dean, you're an interim pastor. I'm here, I'm here for the time that God has called me here. Listen, uh, this church was a church where the people were not so dependent that they just had to have the professionals running the place. It was a place where God's people were exercising their spiritual gifts and serving the church in ways to where the church went on. It was a church where every member was a minister. You get it? Number two. It was a church governed by grace. Notice what the Bible says that when Barnabas came in verse 23, he had seen the grace of God and was glad. And he exhorted them all, encouraged them all. His name is the son of consolation. He was an encourager. He exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. There was a church that was governed by grace. It was not a legalistic church. I am so thankful that the body of believers in Antioch knew that it was the gospel that was the power of God unto salvation. That it was only the gospel of God and His message of grace that delivers sinners from their sin. And can I tell you something? The gospel is not just something that we did when we got saved. We got saved by the gospel, but we are to live by the gospel. I'm not only justified by the gospel when I got saved, but I'm being sanctified by the gospel every day. I'm walking in sanctification and growing by the grace of God. Listen to me very carefully. Listen to me. I am so grateful that the church of Jerusalem sent Barnabas and not Peter. I'm grateful that they sent Barnabas and not one of the other Jewish believers who would have come and said, oh, listen, hey, hey, we got to put a lot of Jewish rules on you. We got to line everybody up. You guys ever heard of circumcision? Put that BLT down, no more bacon. Uh, we are going to live now as honorary Jews. I'm glad they didn't show up with the, um, uh, with the rabbinical school, or in those days, rabbinical school, in our days, Bible college handbook. And say, here's a list of rules that you need to follow. You know what they let? They let the grace of God govern them. Write this reference down in your margin. Titus chapter 2, verses 2 through 11. Write that down in your Bible. 
Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to me and appeared to you. And it saves us, but that's not all. What else does it do? It teaching us that denying ungodliness and unrighteousness, that we should live righteously and soberly in this present world. Do you know what teaches you how to live a holy life in an ungodly world? The grace of God. Everybody, everybody look right up this way. We have Congress and legislatures battling over all kinds of laws. Tens of thousands of laws will go before state and national legislatures in this coming session. Tens of thousands of laws. And you know what all those laws are trying to do? Enforce ten. Thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. (laughs) We're just trying to figure out how to enforce the ten laws that God gave us. And you know what we've learned about the law? That righteousness doesn't come by the law. You can't legislate holiness. The grace of God has to save you and deliver you from your sin, and then the grace of God begins to work in your life and teach you how to deny ungodly desires and unrighteous thoughts and how to live a godly, righteous, sober life in the middle of an ungodly world. Only the grace of God can do that. Only the grace of God can do that. I'm thankful that the church at Antioch was a grace-governed church. Had it been a legalistic church, let me tell you what would have happened. Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 12. This is what happened in Galatians 2 and verse number 12. Uh, Paul said, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face. Paul was in Antioch, and Peter showed up, and Peter came in the door of the church at Antioch, and Paul met him at the door and said, "Uh uh-uh, buddy. These are two titans of the Christian faith. Two pillars in the church. This was a heavyweight fight. Could you imagine the Apostle Paul and Peter meeting face to face? When Peter got there, Paul said, "Uh uh-uh, not a step further, buster. Peter said, what's the problem? Paul said, you are to be blamed. You are to be blamed. Why? He said, because before certain came from James, you did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, you withdrew and separated yourself, fearing them that were of the circumcision. He said, there was a day you went down to Cornelius' house, and you met with him, and you gave him the gospel, and they were wonderfully saved. But when he sent down his little party of Jewish police from Jerusalem, you withdrew and separated yourself, and you wouldn't have anything else to do with the Gentiles. And you've caused this group of people now, if they could get Peter to back away from the Gentiles, then they could go to all the churches of Galatia, and they've been doing that in church after church after church. They're coming to all of our Gentile churches and trying to make them honorary Jews and trying to legislate the Christian life through legalism. And can I tell you, church, you cannot do that. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law came by Moses, grace and truth by Jesus Christ. Let me tell you today, I am not a holy person because I have followed some tenet of somebody's code and somebody's list. If there's any good in me, it is the working of Jesus Christ in me. For to me to live is Christ. Christ who is our life. 
I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you're going to grow, you're going to grow in grace. In grace. By the way, can I tell you what happened when Peter got withstood to the face? He didn't get offended and leave the church. He humbled himself and repented, and the last words he ever penned in Holy Scripture, he wrote it in 2 Peter chapter 3, he had the last words he ever wrote, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter got it, that if we're going to grow, we're going to grow through grace. This was a church governed by grace. Number three, a church that God blesses is a church where the members are saturated in Scripture. Every member a minister. Every member governed by grace, and every, minute, every member saturated in Scripture. Notice what the Bible said, that he exhorted them that they should cleave unto the Lord. And then he did more than this, just that. He went and found Paul in Tarshish. Paul had been up in Tarshish for probably eight or nine years. And what was he doing up there? He was starting churches. You can read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 some of the things that happened to Paul in Cilicia when he was up there, when he was persecuted. He was up there just a new Christian, only been saved for about eight or nine years, and he was preaching the gospel, and they were persecuting him and stoning him and giving him stripes, and he was all over. And by the way, I don't have time to get into this today, but when Barnabas went up there, the Bible said he went up to seek Saul. It means to hunt for him, because he had to go look for this guy. Where was he? He was going all over the place preaching the gospel, and he finally found him. He said, get down here. I've got a work for you to do. And man, when Paul got there, could you, now now I don't want you to meditate on this too long because you'll get really dissatisfied in a hurry. But could you imagine having Barnabas and Paul as your pastors? I mean, you're stuck with Dean and Brent. (laughs) Now, don't meditate on that too long. But could you imagine Paul coming in? I mean, he was probably teaching them about their identity in Christ like he did in in Ephesians. He taught them about the great journey of grace like he did in the working of the Holy Spirit like he did in Galatians. He probably taught them about the coming of the Lord like he did in Thessalonica. He taught them uh, all about the doctrinal richness of our faith like he did in Romans, and he always tied it in with practical application. And Paul was teaching and preaching. Could you imagine that? I just told you, now don't put that at your head, because now you're stuck with me. But man, what a joy, a church that met around the Word of God. Well, how many times did they meet? Every week. I don't know. What was the schedule of their services? I don't know. Do they have a program? Do they have small groups? I don't know. The Bible here indicates they were taught in a large group. You can, did you know you can learn the Bible in a large group? You know, and by the way, for those of you that say, well, I just would love to just be in a little country church. Well, that's fine. But everywhere that God blessed, people got saved and were added to the church. And they were trying to send them out as fast as they were getting them in. You know, you know somebody said, well, I just want to be in a little church. Did it ever dawn on you that when, if it's Jesus' church, there's no such thing as a little church? <laughs> now, there might be a little country church out in the middle of nowhere in some, in some little place in Muscle Shell, Montana. But can I tell you something? With its 40 members, when the Holy Spirit shows up, it's not a little church. That's a big church. Church isn't big by the size of numbers. You can market yourself to a big church. But you know how this church grew? This church grew because every member was a minister, and every member was governed by grace, and every member was saturated in the Word of God. In fact, they were so saturated in the Word of God, everywhere they were going, they were speaking about the Word of God, that the people gave them the name Christians. A 
Christian. What does that mean? It means of the party of Christ. I mean, it was like they were out there, they thought they were out there trying to get a political revolution against Caesar, and they said, no, Caesar is Lord. They said, no, Jesus is Lord. (laughs) And they said, well, you're of the party of Christ. You're Christ men. You're Christ ones. And they meant it derogatory. I mean, can you just see in the marketplace some guy over here talking to these fellows about what Jesus had done for him and how he'd been saved, and he's telling them how to be saved? Can you hear somebody say, who is that fellow? I don't know. He's one of those Christ men. And they meant it derogatory, but these people took it as a badge of honor. And the name Christian's only used in the Bible three times. King Agrippa one time looked down at, Peter, at Paul and said, almost thou hast persuaded me to be a Christian. You almost convinced me to switch parties and change from Caesar to Christ. Peter used it once in 1 Peter chapter 4. He said, if any of you suffer as a Christian, happy are ye. If you suffer as a Christian, happy are ye. If the world reviles you and calls you one of those Christ ones. You know, we've taken that label today and we call ourselves Christians, but I wonder if there's enough, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? They saw Christ in these people. They heard Christ from these people. Everything that they heard about this church and saw in this church was Christ. It was Christ. It was Christ. It was Christ. It was Christ. May this church have the hand of God on it by being filled with people that everything is about Christ. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, and this is last, and everybody said amen. Every member, now hold on for just a second. Don't don't quit on me when I tell you this. We're talking about a church that God blesses, a church that God blesses, a church where every member is ministering. Hey, how are you serving in the church today? How well are you carrying the gospel outside the church today? Uh, Number two, it was a church that was uh, governed by grace. Are you growing in the grace of God? Are you growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you saturated in the Scripture? Are you reading it and meditating it and memorizing it and speaking it? Are you giving it away and taking it in? Is your life saturated so much with the Scripture that people think, man, all you ever talk about is Jesus? Saturated with the Scripture. But then thirdly, or fourthly, what's a church that God blesses? It's a church that is generous in giving. You say, well, I'm a visitor, and here we go, talking about money. Well, if you're a visitor here, go back and listen to all of our messages, and you'll find that it's not a topic of conversation, but it should be often. It should be preached from the pulpit often. Because giving is a mark of a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. A prophet stood up in those days named Agabus and said, hey, there's a famine coming. And this famine is going to bring about some great dearth in the land. And undoubtedly, they knew that this was going to really affect the regions of Judea, that desert area down there. We're going to really be affected by this. They didn't have a trucking system. They didn't have a shipping system like we do today. They didn't have a quote-unquote supply chain like we do today in the, in, the, in the way that we have it. And so these people were going to be very hurt. And notice what the Bible said. We read this a moment ago, but let me just say, after Agabus said that there was a famine coming, then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. 
which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. You know why it was a church that God blessed? Because as soon as they heard of their brethren in need, they determined we're going to take care of that need. And they gave. They gave. And by the way, this is a very marked turn in the program of the early church. Do you remember the church at Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4? Nobody had need because everybody sold everything they had. They had kind of everything common. It was part of that sign time to the Jews of that time of refreshing of what things would be in the kingdom. But God was setting all of that aside now, and he was bringing in a new operation. And this new operation was going to be all the way through the New Testament. We were going to learn this. If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. So you need to earn your living. But then he said this, but then the church should lay aside and store every week as God hath prospered them and let them give to the work of the ministry. These people felt as though the gift of God and the ministry of God was the greatest investment they could give to, and without hesitation, they determined in their heart, we're going to give to that. Can I tell you that the, the work of God is the greatest investment you can give to? Not laying up for ourselves treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. This last week, I was at Baptist International Missions where I sit on the board, and we were hearing from missionaries around the world. Last year, our our little boys and girls in Vacation Bible School gave a gift to the Papua New Guinea Bible Project. I got to hear from Alan Brooks, uh, who was down in Papua New Guinea. They gave their one millionth Bible out this year. The Secretary of Education in Papua New Guinea said, I want every child in Papua New Guinea to have a Bible and to know Christ. And they've opened the door of their schools to Baptist International Missions, and they're going in with Bibles. They're being able to hold chapels. I saw one school with over 3,500 students and saw the missionary up there speaking the gospel to those kids, and they stood the entire time rigid with attention, rapt attention, listening to the gospel. And then after, they had the video of them handing, I'm going to show it in church here before long, but handing a Bible to every child in that school, and to see their eyes light up and their smiles on their faces, to have a Bible in their hand. And last year, we gave to that. Can I tell you that that gift may have seemed like a little gift to give from boys and girls from Vacation Bible Schools in Papua New Guinea, but I want to tell you, that is a gift that is reaping dividends over and over and over again. It's doing better than your 401k. (laughs) This was a church that gave, and how did they give? They gave spontaneously. They gave of their own free will. They gave in full participation according to every member's ability. Everybody wasn't asked to give $10,000, but everybody was able to give according to their ability. You know, that's what I love about God is that God is not concerned about equal gifts. He's talking about equal sacrifice. God doesn't want the guy who can write the big check grudgingly. God wants the person who can throw in two mites with a cheerful heart. God blesses giving churches. Let me tell you something. In these days where the whole world is worried about economics, I want to tell you how uh, how a Front Range Baptist Church is going to survive these days. We're going to survive these days by giving in this church to all the missionaries that we support and giving our, our mission, our by faith, giving, 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 not hoarding. Now, these people, when they heard about famine coming, you would have thought maybe they would have started hoarding. But their first thought was, how can we give? How can we give? 
Can I tell you what that is? That's a work of grace. Now, let me just tell you something, church. Don't you believe for a second these TV preachers that we give to get. The next time I hear a preacher say, well, just send your seed in. I'm going to go to Walmart. I'm going to buy a pack of carrot seeds. I'm going to send it to him. I'm going to tell him if he plant it, it'll grow. All this seed giving and word of faith giving and you give to get. Listen to me. We do not give to get. We give because we have been given to. Notice that the Bible giving was God love of the cheerful giver and let every man lay inside, lay inside in store as God hath prospered him. What is that? That is the attitude of stewardship. God has given this to me. Hey, listen, if you don't see all of your possessions as given to you by God, you won't be a faithful steward. But when you see that God has given it to you, then you will manage that and you will give that back to the Lord in a way that is pleasing to, to him. And can I tell you what God does with a church who will trust its possessions to God? God will bless that church. I want to be a church like that. My prayer is that God would do that kind of work in this church over and over and over again, that we would be a church where every member is a minister. A church where every one of us is governed by the grace of God. That we are letting God work in us a work of holiness as we work a work of grace and those around us. Let me tell you something. When you see somebody that comes in that doesn't look like you and they don't know everything that you know, and I mean they might have their hat on backwards and they got marks on their bodies, they've got their hands up and tears in their eyes as they worship the Lord, you better remember something. You better remember something. That's the grace of God. And God doesn't love us just to keep us where we've been. He loves us enough to save me where I am, but he loves me enough to conform me to the image of his son. There is a growing stage. And that grace of God that saved me is the grace of God that will teach me how to live for Christ and how to live a holy life. Barnabas, when he showed up, he saw the grace of God in that church. He saw a church saturated with the scriptures, a church generous in its giving, a church governed by the grace of God, a church where everybody was serving and ministering and giving the gospel. And may God do that work here. What a church at Antioch. I pray that Fort Collins will be able to say, there was a church in Fort Collins that was governed by the grace of God. And every one of those people, they were crazy Christians. Everywhere they went, they just talked about Jesus. Those people love to go to church. Those people love to study the Bible. Those people love to talk about it. They're concerned for my soul. They love people over there. They want people to be saved. That's the kind of church that God blesses. Now, let me just say this in closing. If you do not know Christ as a personal Savior, God has blessed you in a way today to allow you to be in a service where you can hear the gospel today. I don't know when you'll hear it again. I don't know if you'll ever have another chance to hear it again. This may be your only opportunity to hear the gospel. And may I tell you, friend, that there is a God as willing to save you as he was to save those people in Antioch. None in this room are so good that you need not be saved, and none are so bad that they cannot be saved. God saves us all. Thank God for that. God saves us. I don't care how old you are. If God has spoken to your heart today and you need to be born again, today is the day of salvation. Come to Jesus Christ today. Come to him for salvation. Come with a heart turning from sin to Christ. 
Receive him as your Lord and Savior today and be born again and rejoice in knowing that all of your sin has been forgiven and that you have a new life in Christ. And then begin to live it. Let him use you today. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Lord Jesus, I'm praying right now. First of all, for those souls in this room that may not know you as Savior, that they would find salvation today, that they would be found of you uh, as sinners willing to come to Christ, uh, Lord, that they would respond today by faith. How many of us in this room today would say, Pastor, that's me. Would you pray for me? I need to be saved today. I don't know Christ as a personal Savior, but I need to be saved. Would you slip your hand way up high? And say, that's me. I'm not going to come down where you are, but I want to pray with you. But who would say, Pastor, pray for me? I need to be saved today. Just slip your hand way up high and let me see it. And then I'm praying today for this church that God would let us be a church ministering, walking in grace, walking in his word, generous in our giving, hearts to give of ourselves sacrificially. Oh, God bless this church today. How many say, Pastor, God spoke to my heart. I want to be, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of the blessings of God in this church. God spoke to my heart today. Would you slip your hand way up high? I want to be a part of that today. Let's all stand quietly to our feet. If you're able to stand, stand with me. If you're able to pray, pray with me. Father, I pray for those that do not know Christ today that they would respond. Willingly and cheerfully obediently respond. If God has spoken to your heart today and you're not saved, would you step from your seat, walk right to the back. We have some of our friends in the back who will meet you there. All you have to say to them when you come is, I'm coming to receive Christ. Let me tell you what they'll do. They'll rejoice with you. They'll share some scriptures with you, and they'll seal that decision with prayer. You can leave here today knowing Christ as Savior. Just slip right out right now where you are. If you desire to be a part of a church that is blessed by God, would you just bow your heart to the Lord right now where you are? Say, Lord, use me. I offer myself to you. Lord, what are my gifts? May I give them to you. Help me find a place to serve you. Give me boldness to share you. Give me a heart of compassion for the lost. Father, I thank you for speaking to my heart today. Thank you for the work that you're doing in this place. But Lord, I pray that today that we would not just be dismissed from church, but that we would be sent out into a world seeking answers. Lord, I pray that we would be bold in our witness, speaking the truth with love and compassion and the power of Christ. Lord, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. If this nation is to be saved, it's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be carriers. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.